We're in Luke chapter 1. I've enjoyed going through this particular passage of Scripture. Just a quick reminder, Luke wrote two books of the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he introduces himself as someone who has full or complete knowledge of how things started from the beginning. He had, done, he had seen many eyewitnesses of ministers of Christ and people that were on the scene. And so I think probably, my guess is, that Luke, while, uh, while Paul was in prison in Caesarea, he took some time off and went down and went, into, went down into Judea, which is about 60 miles away. Caesarea was on the western shore of, the, of, 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 of Israel, and he went down into there. And I think he tried to find shepherds. He tried to find anybody who was doing anything that, uh, back in that time and asked questions and said, tell me what it was like, and, and how about this Zacharias and, and, uh, and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and his ministry. You can tell he did a lot of research and just reminds us that we ought to use our gifts for the Lord. Whatever your gifts are, use them for the Lord. He writes both of the books, Luke and Acts, to a fellow called Theophilus, which means a man or one who loves God. By the way, I hope that could be your name as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 tells us, If any man love God, the same is known of him. If anybody really loves God, you don't have to go around and tell people, I love God. Hey, 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 I love God. No, no. You won't have to tell them. They'll say, oh, that guy loves God. That girl loves the Lord. Everybody can tell that. And boy, Theophilus was someone whose name meant he was a lover of God. Seemed to be possibly a Roman uh, uh, bureaucrat or somebody who had some deep pockets may have uh, financed Luke's ministry. Said, Luke, that guy Paul needs help. And so I'm going to take care of you to take care of him. And in the process, he wrote two books of our Bible. And I'm so glad I had the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And he used his gifts. And Theophilus used his gifts. And I think his gift was probably turned a buck. And using the funds that he had to support the work of the Lord. As a result of that, he opens up his letter to, talking about a man and a woman, Zacharias and Elizabeth, two people who were on the same page. And the Bible says they were both righteous. And they walked in the commandments and all the ordinance of God, they were blameless. And boy, I love it when you find the synergy of people coming together. People who are united under righteousness and they both live that way. Righteousness is a key uh, topic of the scriptures. You read it from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find righteousness comes up over and over again in your Bible. And nothing's ever settled right till it's settled right with God. And you want to make sure you're right, not only righteous in regards to uh, your salvation. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. When you get saved, what you're saying is that you believe that the righteousness of Jesus is your only hope for salvation. The Bible tells us in the book of John that when the Spirit has come, he'll reprove the world of sin, number two, of righteousness, number three, of judgment to come. What the Spirit of God does when someone gets saved, he tells them, number one, you're a sinner and you, you, got, you got issues. Number two, by the way, everyone who gets saved has got to have this conviction. Number one, you're in trouble with God. You're a sinner. Number two, the righteousness you need is not in church. It's not in the law. It's not in your abilities. It's not in baptism. It's in the righteousness of Jesus. And the third thing the Spirit of God does, he reminds the unsaved of judgment to come. And uh, recently I was winning some people to Christ, and as I led them to the Lord, 
they, I saw that happen. People who are skeptical were not believers, and then the Word of God did its work. Because there's two things have to happen for someone to get saved. The Word of God needs to be shared, and the Spirit of God must bring conviction. You can share the Word of God, but you can't bring conviction. Sometimes you'll witness to someone, and they'll say, no, I'm not ready. Well, that may be hurtful to you, but that's okay. That means the Spirit of God has to continue to do a work of grace in their heart. They have to realize they're a sinner. I I witnessed to one person. I've done this many times, but I can think of one person in particular. They say, you're calling me a sinner. Brother Vargo and I, we were out visiting. It was a Cajun guy. He lived way out in the country. And we were in your little Cavalier, Brother Vargo. Did you have a Cavalier? A little small, little small little compact vehicle there with these long legs. I was over there. We went out there. We found his house. And, and uh, I went through the gospel with him after we talked about a number of other things. And, and at the end, I thought for sure he was going to get saved. And uh, he said, uh, I said, at the end, I said, you know, do you, do you realize you're a sinner and your sins are God's? He said, you know what? You got a lot of nerve, buddy. I said, <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, uh, you got a lot of nerve. Come into my house and spend the last 20 minutes calling me a sinner and tell me I'm going to hell. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to get yourself out of this house right now. Or I'm going to pull you, I'm going to throw you out uh, personally. I said, <laughs> are you okay? Everything fun? He goes, I'm as serious as I can be. Get 30, you got about 20 seconds now. I said, oh, okay. Well, I stood up, Brother Bargo stood up and he, he slammed the door behind us, and I got sitting in the car, and I said, Brother Vargo, did you see that coming? He goes, no, I thought he was going to get saved. <laughs> and uh, he said, I am not a sinner. You're making it sound like I'm a bad person. I remember one time I was sharing the gospel with a girl, and my wife was with me that day, and her name was Celestina. And I went to her house, and we were talking about the gospel. She had come to church. She had ridden a bus with our, one of our members, and they kept inviting her to come, and she finally came. So I went to, we went to go see her on a Monday or Tuesday night, and we sat in her little lovely apartment. Uh, today, she's one of our sweetest friends, and she'll, uh, she'll, she'll send me a Christmas card before anybody else will, and just uh, I'm sure I'll get one probably this week from Celestina. But nonetheless, uh, uh, we sat there in her room and, and uh, went over the gospel with her, and she said, I am not a sinner. Now, I know some bad people, and I'm not one of them. Now, my ex-husband, he's terrible. Well, you want to know a sinner, you can talk to him about being a sinner, but I am not a sinner. How dare you? I said, look, if I've offended you, please forgive me. But for what I've showed you from the Bible, I can't convince you of that. I'm just showing you. I'm just the, I'm just the mail carrier. I'm just delivering the mail. I'm the paper boy. I'm just telling you the news. She said, well, I'm offended. I said, well, I hope it doesn't keep you from coming back. But I hope you'll come again. She goes, I don't know. But this is very upsetting. How dare you call me a sinner the whole time you're in here? I said, I only said it like two times, you know. And, boy, it was getting all over her, you know. And I remember, Linda and I remember she came the next Sunday. I was very surprised. And but she came, and we were so happy to see her again. She came the next Sunday. The fourth Sunday she came back, I gave the invitation. And she was sitting in the, in the aisle right here, a little bit past Antonio there. And, and I came down to the floor for the invitation and was going to receive. And I said, if you need to talk to someone about the Lord, you come. And, and as soon as the invitation, as soon as Miss Mimi plays the piano, you guys come. And she started running toward me. And I thought she was going to hit me. I did not know what was happening. She was walking really fast, almost to a run. 
And I thought, oh, my goodness, here, this is going to be a scene right in front of the church. And she ran right to me. She stopped. She put her, hand down, her head down and her hand out. She goes, Pastor, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad, bad sinner. I said, okay, Celestina, what do you want to do with this? Do you want to get saved? I want to get saved, yes. And you know what had to happen for her from the time I talked to her in the, an apartment till five weeks later? The Spirit of God had to be whacking away. Because the Holy Spirit brings, it brings a conviction of sin and of righteousness we need in Jesus. You know, none of us have never seen Jesus. I hope you haven't. If you have, don't tell me, okay? Uh, but we haven't seen Jesus. But how many believe in Jesus? Yeah. You know why you believe in Jesus? Someone showed you the Bible and the Spirit of God said he's real. How many believe in hell? Well, I believe in hell. You ever been there? I hope not. Never have to go there. But you know why you believe in it? Because the Spirit reminds us of judgment to come. And that's why the Word of God, the, the Spirit of God, has to be shared together uh, in, in tandem there. But we see that uh, they, the, the Word of God was alive in the heart of Zacharias and in, and in Elizabeth. And they were both on the same page, walking in God's ordinances. He was a priest, tribe of Levi, both of them were. And he goes on to tell us that he was doing his job. It was a rare job. Uh, sometimes a priest would not. There were 20,000 priests at that time, and so they took rotations, and they would only, they would do it two times a year. They would go from Sabbath day to Sabbath day two times a year. The men would, and they would, everyone have a job. Some would be the doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Others, others would do other things, would cut, cut the animals or to sacrifice or to keep the fire burning on the, on the burnt altar. But his job this time, his lot, was to burn incense. And while he was burning incense, he got a visit from a heavenly angel, Gabriel. Gabriel appears four times in our Bible, two times in Luke chapter 1, and two times in the book of Daniel. Uh, Luke chapter 1, he comes to Zacharias, and he comes later, six months, uh, to Mary, um, the, the young lady who was a spouse to Joseph. But, uh, San, but Gabriel shows up, he's on the right hand of the altar, he begins to approach him and speak with him. It frightens him, but he tells him, you're going to have a boy. And uh, your prayer has been heard. And sometimes just reminding us, sometimes the prayers that we pray in years gone by, God answers them later in our life. And that's exactly, and that means we ought to keep on praying. We ought to keep on praying. Even though you don't feel like things are coming together, keep on trusting the Lord. You got someone who's away from God, and you're like, Lord, you'll, are you going to bring them back? Or will you keep working their heart? God is still working. And prayers need to be prayed. He prayed, and then God gave him a son. And John the Baptist, he told him he's going to give him a son at that point. And John the Baptist will be known for several things. He would bring joy and gladness to his mom. By the way, boys and girls, young people, whatever you do in your life, bring joy and gladness to your parents. That's your, one of your main jobs as a young person. Make sure your parents have joy and gladness because of your wisdom and your walk with the Lord. Number two, he tells him in, in, in chapter one that he's going to be great in the sight of God. He's going to be surrendered, and God, uh, he wanted to please whatever God wanted to do. And that's something that all of us can do, too. We want to be great in the sight of God. You know how you are whenever you please him. And then he was separated. He did not let alcohol, wine, or strong drink because of his Nazarite vow touch his mouth. We see he was separated. He was spirit-filled, and his job was to turn people's hearts back to the Lord. That was his whole job. And by the way, that's my job too, and that's your job too. Every day we, we go out. We, by the way, I love going soul winning on Saturday. But you know, there's other days to go soul winning. 
Monday's a good day, Tuesday's a good day, Wednesday's a good day. Every day be on soul patrol looking for somebody that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you pray about it, God is going to put someone in your path. I'm confident of that. Um, when we pray, we, that's why I think God wants us to pray for the lost. I don't know how our prayers bring people to Christ. What I do know is when you pray for the lost, you're more sensitive to the lost. You're seeking, Lord, is this person someone you want to talk to? People who do not pray for the lost normally are not engaged in winning the lost. I think it's something we all ought to do. I say, God, please give me a chance to influence someone with the gospel of Christ today. If you're a man, you can pray that prayer. If you're a woman, if you're young or you're old, God will answer that prayer. It might be over a phone. It might be, it might be in, a, in a grocery line. You never know what can happen. Uh, if you will be asking God, Lord, please help me to be a soul-conscious person, we find that that's what John the Baptist would be known for. Verse number 18, would you look, if you would, please? We leave that particular information, and we go to verse 18, and Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this, or how am I going to know that that this child is going to be born to me. For I am old, and my wife is well stricken in years. Isn't that great? He called himself old and said his wife is well stricken in years. That was just a mild way, wasn't it, to say she was old too. (laughs) Verse number 19, the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. He said, I'm Gabriel, and I'm coming to tell you some good stuff. It's interesting, too. What happened when Sarah found out she was going to have a baby? She laughed, right? Manoah panicked whenever he found out his wife was going to have Samson. He kind of got all nervous, and he wanted to make sure that it was really a true thing. And uh, we find here that uh, that Zacharias doubted and argued. I don't know about you, but let's not argue with God. (laughs) Let's not not doubt. Let's don't doubt in the night what God shows you in the light. And if he tells you something... React to his word. He said, you know what? How am I going to know this? I mean, I'm old, and my wife's well-stricken in years. And he said, look, I'm Gabriel. I, I represent God. I stand in his presence, and I'm telling you some good stuff. You need to listen to that. However, verse number 20, and behold, thou shalt be dumb. It means you can't talk and not able to speak until the day that uh, these things shall be performed. Until you have a baby, you're not going to be able to, to, to verbalize anything. Because thou believest not my words, which uh, shall be fulfilled in their season. There's a lot of probably thoughts that we could give there. But uh, how many would like to call your husband dumb sometime? That would be there right there. Maybe that's, that's the thought there. I don't know for sure. But he says, you're not, you're not going to be able to talk until your baby's born. That's how you're going to know this is going to happen. And so it would get a little awkward because when he came out, he was there a long time. And the people were outside watching the incense go up, and he just was staying and staying and staying. They thought, what in the world's going on in there? And, um, and uh, when he came out, he couldn't tell them. He couldn't tell them what was going on. Let's continue, if we can, please. Verse number 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled. He tarried so long in the temple, and when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So he kind of asked him to, to come to him, and then he couldn't tell him what it was going on. Verse 23. And, it's, and it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. He said after his job was completed, his duty was done, then he went to his house. And that was probably in the Judea region. So keep in mind that in Israel, it's kind of an oblong. Over here is the is Jordan River. 
And so right over here kind of divides there. Up north is Galilee and Capernaum and Bethsaida and that area. And Nazareth is up in the northeast or northwest. And then down between the two is Samaria. And then underneath is Judea. Judea is down by Jerusalem. And the, the southern part of Israel was kind of like, it was more like <coughs> the, um, the white-collar workers. Those are the educated folks. They live in the big city. The Galilee was the country bumpkins. They kind of lived up there in the country and were known a little bit more by blue-collar work. That's where Jesus was raised. That's where most of the disciples, probably at least 10 of the disciples, are from the northern region. And that's why they said these guys are ignorant and unlearned men. But they turned the world upside down with the gospel because uh, they were from that northern region of Galilee. And so, but what we believe is Zacharias and, and uh, Elizabeth probably lived in the Judea region down in the south. And so after he finished his job, he went on home, and there uh, the Lord gave them the conception of John the Baptist. Look, if you would please, verse 24. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth did conceive and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. And, of course, in our day, it's very difficult not to have a child whenever you're of childbearing years. In the Eastern culture, probably put that on steroids. It was probably much more challenging. And much more, it was a, it was a blessing to have kids, but it was also very, you, you were looked down upon as though you were cursed if you didn't have kids. Most of us today, we wouldn't have that same, that same idea at all. But certainly, she bore that. The Bible says she hid herself five months. And there's several reasons that have been surmised on the reason of that, some of it, because she didn't want it to show. I don't know that that was the case. Maybe she just wanted to make sure that, uh, that she was actually going to have a baby and was nervous about a miscarriage or nervous about a change. I don't know. But she hid herself five months and uh, stayed indoors. And looks like Zacharias did most of the, the, commun the communications, and she stayed kind of a hid for a while. While that was taking place, the Bible now tells us that Gabriel has another appointment with a young lady. Let's look at this if we can, please. Verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God uh, unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, of course, probably 90 miles north of where she lived is Nazareth in the northwest part of, of, of Israel. And to that little city of Nazareth, Nazareth was on the other side of the tracks somewhat. Matter of fact, you might remember when Nathaniel was one of the disciples that was asked to follow Jesus. Philip had come to him and said, hey, why don't you come see Jesus? And he said, where's he from? He's from Nazareth. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He said, that's, that's like the hood, you know. That's, that's not that. I mean, is a leader going to come out of that town? And he was very surprised about that. It was not a place you'd probably say, oh, I want to be, I want to live in that place as a general rule. People go, oh, Nazareth, okay. It was not, not necessarily a place of popularity or a place of prestige. And uh, they were surprised. But that is where Mary was. Let's continue if we can, please. The next thing the Bible says in verse number 27, that Mary, um, she was a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Of course, these are the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. 
When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind, or evaluated in her thinking, what manner of greeting or salutation this should be. What, what is this guy talking about? Verse number 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Could you read verse 31 with me? And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. So let's just talk a little bit about Mary just for a second if we can and make a couple of uh, applications we dismiss this evening. But uh, one thing I, I think that you and I would all appreciate about Mary is that Mary was probably very young. They think maybe she could have been 14. 15, 16, 17, 18. Doesn't seem to be as someone who was very, very, in that Eastern culture, most people believe that she was still in her teen years when this took place. And by the way, I just want to say to you, if you're young, and most of us are not, <laughs> but uh, most of us have most of our life behind us. How many are you in that group right there? And uh, those of you who have most of your life ahead of you, let me just tell you, you can, you can serve God. You can be used of God. Don't waste your youth. Let no man despise thy youth. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wise preacher says, look, remember now the creator in the days of thy youth. In Ecclesiastes, or excuse me, in, in the book of Lamentation, the Bible says it's good for you to bear your yoke in your youth. Don't waste your youth. You know, there's not a word teenager in the Bible. Matter of fact, in the Jewish culture, young men became men oftentimes at 12 years old. They were treated with much more respect, and they did not go through their teenage years as irresponsible. They might have been young, but they were not irresponsible. We kind of give teenagers a pass. Oh, they're just young. You know, that's a good time. They can play give video games and goof around. Not gonna... But you know what, the, what uh, Paul told Timothy? And Timothy was a teenager when Paul first met him. He said, I want you to flee what kind of lust? Youthful lust. You know what some youthful lusts are? Music. A lot of times people who have crippled adulthood are oftentimes crippled because of music they picked up in their youth. Habits. Video games that are not, they're not, not should be having. I talked to a man today. He said, Pastor, is there any, he named a particular video game. He says, is there anything wrong with that? I said, you know, I don't know. I'm not real familiar with that game. But here's what I do, I do think is I think a lot of times it robs you of valuable time that you could be doing something productive. And this young man's in his early 20s said, you got that right. He said, I can spend hours on that, that game. Wasting time. Don't waste your youth. Mary was young. And you're going to find out Mary was deeply spiritual. Whenever she steps away and praises the Lord, after going to visit Elizabeth, she steps away, read her prayer, her ma magnificent, they call it. Read what she says to praise to God. She quotes the Old Testament numerous times. She had it by memory. She had memorized enough scripture. She had known enough about God, even as a young girl, to really praise him like a, like a seasoned Christian should. By the way, some of us, we grow old, but we never grow up. Some of you, you've been saved 30 years, and you still, you're still plateaued. You're like a teenager, spiritually. 
You wouldn't, if, you, if you were asked to pray for 30 minutes, you would struggle. If you were asked to do something spiritual, you struggle in that, and it's not necessary. Somebody needs to mature. The book of James is given that we might mature and get, get stronger. But I, tell, I say to you, if you're young, Mary, I don't know how old she was, and I'm not here to, to guess that, but uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth. This, this church and every church ought to be filled with young people who are passionate about the things of God. I thank God. I just have to say, I was in yesterday in the soul winning meeting, came out and saw our young people going out soul winning. Josh said tonight, Lord, thank God for the people that got saved yesterday. I talked to one of our sons. He did. I, I got a chance to share the gospel with this young person yesterday. And I thank God for the, the where our kids are not perfect, but I thank God for them. Brother Ricky takes our, 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 our uh, Chicagoland teens out soul winning on Wednesday afternoon. And they go out visiting people before they come to church on a Wednesday night. Uh, they went out and they do things to help the community and help our, our widows. And some of you, how many got your leaves raked this year because of a teenager? Yes. They're faithfully serving the Lord. But may I encourage you on your own private time, spend time in the Word of God. Read the Scriptures. Pray. Sing your lungs out in church. And one of the reasons we sing different songs is because I think that young people, are all the devil's always giving them new songs new songs, new songs. And the Bible says he had put a new song in my mouth, even praise to my God. By the way, some of you older folks that complain about that, you ought to zip your lip <laughs> and sing along with the young people. And kiddos, young people, you ought to sing. You ought to sing, find the song, get a song book and, and sing. You sing, you like songs. Yeah, we've caught you listening to things you should be listening to, so you like music. By the way, one of the things we know that people are spirit-filled the Bible tells us, be not drunk with wine where's an excess in Ephesians chapter 5, but be filled with the Spirit of God. You know what? We'll know that. You have a thankful spirit. Gratitude. You'll sing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. People that are not filled with the Spirit of God don't want to sing. So, well, Pastor, I'm not really that good of a musician. Open your mouth and let her fly. God knows that, and the people around you will find that out in just a few seconds. But go ahead and sing. You're not singing to me. I'm not singing to you. We're singing to him. And it would be a good day when you understood that music starts in the heart and it's for the Lord. If you think music is about you, well, I just like that song. I don't like this song. I don't like that song. No one cares. It didn't, it's not about us. Making melody in your hearts to the Lord. By the way, if the heart's not right, music will not be right. Because it starts here. Now, you know, I had a man schedule for me. He's leaving the church. He said, I'm leaving. I just don't like the music. I'm just kinda, I, want, I want a little loosey-goosey. I like it. I like it a little bit loose. I want to, I want, there's nothing wrong with drums. You know, as long as a little bit of beat, you've got you to pipe it up around here. It's just, I'm sick of it. And, uh, you know, they can make the decision like that, but I'm telling you, you have a hard time finding eight places in the New Testament where music is, music is even mentioned. Try to find music in the book of Acts. Apart from... Paul and, Barnabas, or Paul and Silas singing in the, in the midnight hour, you probably won't find it. It didn't say they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and music. You won't find it. He's going to find it right there in Ephesians chapter 5, but you'll have a hard time maybe finding five places in the New Testament. Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples after the Lord's Supper, after that. And boy, some people just, that, they worship music. 
they, they, pick it, they pick it because they want, the, they want better music or want this. Look, it's so immature and so anti-biblical. It, and I, I will say music is important. The largest book in your Bible is a music book. But I'm telling you, in the New Testament, it, it, worship, prayer, focusing on Jesus Christ, doctrine, fellowship, that was the focus. And I thank God for both of those things, and I think there ought to be a blend of both of them. At the same time, there's no, no doubt in my mind that the Satan uses music and wrong kind of music and contemporary Christian music to really challenge uh, our day. And some of our young people, you're all caught up in it. And some of our adults are caught up in it. You're okay in here, but in your, in your car, it's a different story. On your iPod, it's a different story. On your, on your, on your iPad, it's a different story. And Pandora is the day of the, you know, and, and by the way, you can do it. You can do it all you want to do it. You'll never have a holy life on a diet of that junk. So I like my salsa. You won't have a holy life on a diet of that. Well, I, I like this kind. I like the oldies. I like this. I like that. And, and I'm just telling you, it's a youthful lust you picked up when you're young and dumb. And it stays with us a long time. And it has a negative and counterproductive uh, effect on Christian leaders and Christian people. And I was talking to someone who was very close to a pastor who fell, and they told me that in the last few months of before they were revealed, the things that they put on their phone, the music changed drastically in, a, in an adult, in a pastor. And if you think you and I can, if someone like that can be excused from that, you and I can have the same problem. But she was young. I love this about Mary. She was young, but she was mature. And you and I, we ought to be mature. We ought to elevate and say, I want to be mature. Number two, she was pure. She was a virgin. I'm glad for the King James Version of the Bible. Occasionally, you get these other versions, and they'll say that, that a young woman would conceive and bear a, bear a son. There's a lot of difference between a virgin and a young woman. And tonight, on Wednesday night, I'll talk a little bit about the virgin birth and the doctrine of the virgin birth and why it's important, why we can learn about that. What's the big deal about that? We've got, it's interesting, in the, in, I understand the Quran, uh, the only lady's name in the Quran is, is Mary. And the only lady's name in all the Quran is, the, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And uh, they, they probably believe in the, in the virgin birth of Mary more than, uh, than anyone else. But it's the it's it's liberal Bible scholars that come out of these cemeteries, or seminaries, excuse me. They come out of these seminaries that they cast doubt upon that. They say it's just a myth. The virgin birth is a myth. I'm, I'm glad to tell you it's not a myth. It's a reality. You don't have a virgin birth, you don't have a Savior. You don't have a sinless son of God. It's important to understand that. But I'm glad that there was a girl who kept herself pure. I'm glad there was a man who wanted to keep his wife, his fiancée pure. He was willing to do what he needed to do. They oftentimes would have a, a year between the time that they would make their spousal, and that was their vows, until a year later whenever he would build a place for her and she would prepare herself to come back to to come together and consummate their, their, their marriage. And during that time, that is when uh, the Gabriel came to Mary. I love Mary because she was young and she understood her purpose. And by the way, if you're young, be purposeful. Number two, I, I love the fact that Mary was pure. 
I think another thing, too, that, that we see that, that Mary uh, pondered things in her heart. She, didn't, she wasn't someone who flapped her soup coolers all the time, always talking, always, you know, just saying whatever she wanted to say. One of the things we find out in the book of 1 Timothy, that oftentimes uh, there are ladies that hurt the name of Christ because they're busybodies and tattlers and go house to house speaking things they ought not. Nowadays, we don't have to go house to house. We can get on Facebook and do it. We can get on Instagram and say how we feel about everything and create all kinds of things, text someone things we shouldn't text and do some things like that. You know, it's, a, it's, it's something that it, it, it creates issues and it causes enemies of God to blaspheme when it's not right. Mary was young. She was pure. And she pondered things in her heart. She cast in her mind, what manner of, of salutation might this be? Even in this greeting that she gets from, from, from Gabriel, she says, you know what, hang on a second. What is happening here? What does he mean by this greeting? You're highly favored. What, what is going on here? And then, of course, the, April, the, uh, the Gabriel will tell her she's going to be the mother of the Christ child. I love this story for many reasons. First of all, I love it because it's, it's right in the Bible. Number two, it came at a time of great darkness, at a time of great uh, of issues, 400 years since God stopped talking in the Old Testament. And But the darker the night, the brighter the light. I want to say to you, I, I hope all of us will pray that God would bring a revival to our nation, to our church, to our families. I prayed with Brother Quotzo this morning. He prayed that our president, just turning 80 years old, and he needs the gospel of Christ. Lord, would you please don't let him leave this world without Christ. I wonder how many of us, we have plenty of time to criticize. When's the last time you prayed that God would save him? God would open. Do you think he could? Do you think God could bring revival in the darkened time that we live? I believe he can. If, God, if my people, which are called by, will humble themselves and... Pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. Then we could hear from heaven, and he could revive us and heal our land. But to make that a matter of prayer, I want to encourage you to take these thoughts from the book of Luke chapter 1 and apply them to your heart wherever God wants you to.